Good morning. Arthur's doing a head count today. Did you see that? Stand up. Let's sing. It's the first Sunday in Advent. We're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Cry. 
the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring Him, Lord, the babe, the Son of Mary. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds sing. Yeah. You guys sing, sing really, real loud. really loud on this one. <laughs> Very loud.
greet your neighbors, turn and grab a donut, greet one another, and we'll get back with you in a second. <clears throat> Good morning to everyone. <clears throat> It's good to see all of you there, here, there, here, and there. Uh, <clears throat> glad you're here. We have a lot going on in the life of the church in these days. Um, hope that uh, you can take part. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute. I want to give you plenty of time, though, for writing any prayer concerns you might have. Our ushers have uh, index cards to give you, and if you will write something you don't mind me repeating, I will share your concern. So raise your hand so they can see you if you need a prayer card this morning. And we'll collect those in, those in a few minutes. Also to be passed this morning will be a um, registry of attendance uh, pad that will be coming your way. <clears throat> we do have a lot going on these days. Uh, but I'm glad we don't, you know, we haven't cut anything out because uh, the whole reason for having this early service was to give opportunities for people that perhaps didn't have a time to come later in the day to worship because of jobs or maybe style of worship was more appealing to you. And so uh, our numbers are probably going to be down. So uh, our numbers, because we've got some heavy competition at 11 o'clock today. Our preschool singers will be bringing a program there and we'll also be uh, hanging the greens um, Fortunately, we don't have any families by that name, uh, so there's no confusion. Uh, we'll be decorating the halls is what we'll be doing, and so you're welcome to stay for that service at 11 o'clock today. Next Sunday morning, we have a, another children's program. This is the elementary school age choir. The Sunday after that, which is the 14th of December, we will be having the uh, Chancel Choir Cantata, special music. And uh, that's going to be great. And then on the 21st, uh, we will be having um, handbells as a part of the worship service at 11 o'clock. So we'll still be here all those services and doing some special things here as well. But uh, I'll give you notice that you're welcome to, uh, to be at either service during this time and support these folks who have been working hard on musical programs. Um, also... Um, Coming up on the 19th and 20th of December, uh, which is a Friday night and a Saturday night, 7 o'clock both evenings, the uh, praise band will be uh, presenting for you a Christmas concert. Um, so we hope that you will be here and hope that you'll bring plenty of your friends along with you. We had about, what, 250 last year, which totally shocked me. Uh, we had folks from all over, so we hope to have that again happen to us uh, this year. Um, so spread the word, help us on that. It is always a delightful thing when we get to share in uh, sacrament of baptism at either of our services and we have that happening today for um, Annika Elizabeth Pittman, uh, the daughter of William and Jeannie Pittman and we invite them to come forward at this time along with any in their uh, family that would like to come and stand with them, come join me right here. And uh, any family, friends would like to come, you're welcome to do so as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Huh? And who is this? 
fix this? Hot diggity dog. I had a big sis. You're in big trouble. Okay. <laughs> Friend, baptism is the outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Let the children come to me, do not let the children come to me, do not hinder of God. Do you, in presenting this child for holy baptism, confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If so, will you say we do? Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care that she be brought up in the Christian faith? to be taught the Holy Scriptures and that she learned to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until she, by the power of God, shall accept for herself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's holy church? If so, church, if so, we will. The minister always asked, because it used to be a, a moment of naming, what name is given this child? Monica Elizabeth, I baptize you. Ushers, if you'll help us collect the prayer cards. I tell you what, I, one of the great things I love about, uh, about baptism is however a child reacts and reacts and responds is, uh, is a sermon. Because even though Annika is less than happy right now, we're very happy with her and God is very happy with her. And uh, the most meaningful baptism I ever had was when I was baptizing twins over in Rock Hill. And as I took the second child, I must have gripped him too tight because he loaded his diaper right there in my arms. And we heard it all over the place. And after the laughter stopped, I said, you know, people, that's the good news. The Lord takes us soil diapers and all. <laughs> that is the, is the way he takes us all. 
Let us join our hearts for prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this child that we just celebrated the baptism of, and we pray your blessings upon her. Thank you for your love for us that takes us as we are. Thank you for growing us up day by day, year by year. Life seems so very brief from the vantage point of later on in life, later on in those day by day, those that must appear to you for whom a thousand years is like a day. Yet you bless us and you patiently give us growth day by day. Help us to remember and not get impatient with ourselves when we remember how patient you are of us. Of us. Here are our special day. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for the healing and continued improvement for Paul. We pray for Olson, who is considering moving to Greer from Kansas. We pray for a daughter going through a very difficult divorce, for a friend's son with heart problems, for a friend's son with depression problems, for healing for Mike Berg, Liz Farley, and Joyce Childers. Continued prayers, Lord, for Smiley Howell's family, that they might continue to have your strength with them. For a family member seeking a job, for college students and their exams, for Reverend Mark Long and his healing. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our, our Father, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I am this time to call on someone for the lighting of the Advent candles. But Andy, I don't know who it is. Who? Oh! The doctors and doctors and family. <laughs> the Hudsons. Good morning. Our reading is from Isaiah 60, verses 2 and 3. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ our hope. May the light sent from God shine in the darkness to show us the way of salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thank you all very much. I believe Rabbi Andy has words to bring us at this time. No rabbi, but I am going to do a bit of teaching this morning. Good morning. Um, a couple of Sundays ago, during my sermon, we talked about Advent. Does anybody remember what the word Advent means? You didn't know there was going to be a quiz, did you? Anybody? Coming, that's right. It means coming or arrival. And this is a uh, time when we celebrate the 
overall coming of Christ into our world. What I failed to warn you of is that it's also the advent of holiday indigestion. Now, I trust that everyone had a good Thanksgiving, healthy portions at every meal, I'm sure. A couple of weeks ago, I also mentioned that the first Sunday in Advent is set aside for us to focus on the second coming, the return of Christ the King. Now, as the weeks progress, we're going to shift our focus more to the manger, to the babe, the first coming of Christ, the incarnation, God made flesh. But today, I want us to focus on the second coming and consider some of the finer points that the Bible has to offer regarding his return. And I'd like to do a bit of reverse engineering and start at the end and work back through the scriptures. So we'll begin in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and the last chapter of that book, Revelation 22. And there are four statements from the last chapter of the Bible that are Jesus' statements. If you have a Bible at home that has um, the letters of Christ or the words of Christ in red letters, these will be in red. These are the last recorded statements by Jesus that we have written in our Bible. And they're going to be on the screen over the next few minutes as we go through them. But there's a couple of things that I think they can teach us and help us understand the concepts about the return of Christ. And the first is, Jesus says that he's coming to reward and to judge. He says, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Some translations translate it to repay or my recompense is with me. But one thing's for sure, Jesus is coming to judge and to reward. Now for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, this is good news. Our king is returning with our reward for every unseen good deed, for every time we were patient in spiritual drought, for every time that we were faithful in the face of persecution, for every time we trusted in our Lord when it didn't look like things were going to work out. For every time we were obedient, even when it wasn't popular, and for every time we turned the other cheek, Jesus is coming back with our reward for those times. Now, it's important to note here that we're not going to be judged according to our good works as far as salvation is concerned. Nothing we could do, no good work would ever merit salvation or eternal life or forgiveness of sins. That was provided by Christ when he came the first time through his birth, death, and resurrection. There's nothing we can do to earn that. But Jesus will be coming with our reward. Now, for those who have not put their faith in Christ, judgment is coming. Just a couple of chapters earlier in the book of Revelation, you can read about the judgment seat of Christ. And it talks about judgment day, when every man is judged according to what he has done. Everyone. Everyone is judged according to what he has done. And it says that anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So you see, for those who have not placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior, the news of Jesus' return is not so good. The next thing we need to notice is that Jesus establishes that he wins. He gives himself several titles. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is establishing through these titles who he is. Let's take a look at them a little closer. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And these are titles that are used for Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. And they declare his eternal existence and supremacy. Jesus is the know-all and end-all. He is the Lamb who is worthy to open the scroll, to bring about the end, to ransom his bride, the church, 
and to do away with evil once and for all. He is the ultimate authority. Jesus then says he is the root of David. Now God promised to David a long time ago that someone would always sit on his throne, that his kingdom would remain forever, and so it has. Now because Christ existed in heaven before time ever existed, he is the root of David. He came before David. Some might would say that Jesus is the reason God made the promise to David in the first place. Jesus is the reason for the royal line of Israel. He is the beginning of all kings. He also says he is the descendant of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. No, he didn't come as a king the first time, but he's going to return as a king. 1 Timothy 1 tells us that he's the king of ages. 1 Timothy 6 says he's the king of kings. The book of Revelation, the entire book, places Jesus on the throne. He will be returning as a king. He is a king in the line of David. His is the eternal throne. He is the end of all kings. And finally, we have that Jesus says that he is the bright morning star. 1 Peter 2.19 tells us that the morning star is that first glimmer of spiritual light in a dark world. Jesus often refers to himself as the light of the world, and he does so here. And the light of the world ends darkness in our lives and ultimately in the entirety of all creation. Revelation records that in that day there will be no need for the sun, the moon, or the stars, for the night has gone and the glory of God will fill the heavenly city with light. Jesus is that light. So we might could say that Jesus is the ultimate authority, the final king, and the end of darkness. In Tuesday nights at the Smith's home this fall, the senior high have been going through the book of Revelation. And at the end of our study, someone put it best when they said, Jesus wins. That's the point. There's another thing that we need to notice about these four statements from Jesus, and that is that he says he is coming soon. He says it three times in the last chapter of the Bible. I am coming soon. And we would do well to remember that he is coming. Now, our definition of soon and God's definition of soon are two different things. But he is coming. So we might could say in summary of these four statements that Jesus is coming and that Jesus wins, and it's not up there, but Jesus also will come to reward and to judge. Now, that's our starting point. Let's move backwards. Let's take a, take a look at what the New Testament church thought about the return of Christ. What did New Testament believers think about his return? What did they expect? Well, New Testament believers endured much more persecution than we do here today in America. And they expected and longed for Jesus' return to a greater degree than we may ever know. But they certainly knew he would return, and they knew that his return would bring about judgment and that he would reward those who were faithful and obedient. 2 Peter 3, 8-15 is a great synopsis of the New Testament church's belief about the return of Christ. And it I love the message, which is a paraphrase paraphrase translation, but I love the way it puts it. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end, because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. But when the day of God's judgment does come, it will be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration. 
earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements melt down that day. But we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. They expected he would come and that he would come to judge and reward. Moving even further back, we must briefly consider Jesus' teaching. Now, Jesus spent a considerable amount of time teaching on his coming kingdom and his glorious return. He taught many of the same concepts that we've already discussed from the book of Revelation. He taught that he was sure of his return and that he was sure he would be coming to judge and reward. Because of time, I'm just going to kind of let this sit up there. This is a, um, a passage, just two verses from Matthew 24 that illustrates that. Matthew 24, 30 through 31, you can read that um, when you get home. Or you can see me afterwards and I can tell you more about it. Um, moving even further back into the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, if you read through the prophets, you can tell that they predicted both Jesus' first and second coming. But this presented a bit of a problem for them. Now, a couple of years ago, I guess it's been a few years now, in youth, during a lesson one night, I gave them a task, and the task was to assemble a puzzle. But what they didn't know is that I had jumbled together the pieces of two similar-looking puzzles. Well, this confused them, and they struggled for a while and became very frustrated. And then I told them the truth, and after they really berated me, they rather quickly and impressively were able to separate the puzzles and work them. The problem that the Jews had regarding these prophecies was knowing how the, how the puzzle was separated, to knowing which went with which coming. And um, one can hardly blame them because you have the suffering servant and the virgin birth predicted in Isaiah, and then you have the king of kings coming in Zechariah. And so you, we can hardly blame them. They tended to lean towards the coming king who would rule with justice and righteousness because that held more hope for them. They were a nation oppressed by foreign rule. So they wanted the king, not the suffering servant, and we can't blame them for that. But little did they know that had it not been for the first coming, the birth of Jesus, the suffering servant, there would be no hope when he came as a king. Because if he hadn't been born of human flesh, if he hadn't suffered and died when he came the first time, There'd be no names written in the book of life. There'd be no redemption. And so when he came in his rule to reward and to judge, there'd be no hope for anyone because nobody can meet the standards of a perfect and holy God. So the first coming was necessary for the second coming to be as hopeful as it is. So what's the point of all this? This business of a second coming is a tricky one. And we must ask, what's the point? Now, when, where, and how are questions that every generation has asked, both before and after that fateful Christmas morn. Many very intellectual and spiritual people have spent the majority of their lives looking for signs and predicting his return. The focus has been on when, where, and how. But surely this is not what the scriptures want us to do. Surely there are better things to consider. Surely the point is not to be distracted by signs and times and political leaders and plots and tribulations and natural disasters. 
Surely that's not it. Jesus himself says that there will be obvious signs. Once again in Matthew 24, he says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Jesus says that when he comes, it's going to be obvious. The same way that we know a storm is approaching because we see the lightning. The same way we know summer is coming because the buds and blossoms of spring are out. It's going to be obvious. So if it's going to be obvious, then why do so many people spend so much time and effort on looking for the signs? There must be better things to do. In what is known as the synoptic apocalypse found in Mark 24, I mean Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, Jesus teaches extensively about his return. And in Matthew's version, he complements his teaching with illustrations and parables. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of these. It's rather famous passages. The one where two men are working in a field and one is taken and one is left behind. And the passage on the thief in the night. And Jesus seems to be conveying an idea of he doesn't want his audience to be concerned with when, where, and how, but rather, will you be ready? He uses phrases such as stay awake, be ready, be alert, be on the alert throughout his teaching. And so the point of all the scriptures concerning Jesus' return is not when, where, and how, but will we be ready? I would like for us to consider this morning a parable from this synoptic apocalypse as a point of devotion both for today and the coming weeks and the coming months. And I think this parable fits in rather nicely with our service here today. We've established that Jesus is the bright morning star, the light of the world, the end of darkness, and that is what this Advent wreath represents. The Hudson family lit this candle this morning, and this is the candle of hope and represents the first glimmer of light in a spiritually dark world. And the hope of that future time when the glory of God will shine so bright that darkness and evil no longer exist. And we've also established that our question in response to all of this should be, will we be ready? Now let us hear the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, be on the alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. In light of everything we have discussed, no pun intended, we as Christians must make sure that our light is still burning when Jesus returns. Let us be wise and continue to live by faith as we follow Jesus.
You and I are the light of Jesus to a dark world. And it's important that we keep that light shining. As Christians, we must continue to be those who do the good deeds, preach the good news, and show the world the light of Jesus through the way we live our lives with a love, peace, and joy that shines like a beacon in the darkness. Jesus is coming back. Will you be ready? Caroline loves to play hide-and-go-seek. Eli's starting to uh, pick up on it now, but basically he just hides behind his face, and that's hidden for him. But anyway, we were, uh, a few months ago, I guess now, back during the summer, we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and, seek, and uh, I was counting. I was the seeker, and I was to count to ten and then say loudly. It's very important you say it loudly. Ready or not, here I come. And so I did that, and then I tried to pretend like I didn't know where she was, and I was looking around, and, and I knew she was in her room. I'd already heard her rummaging around in her room, so I opened the door to her room, and there she was, standing in the middle of the room. She immediately started crying, and I went up to her, and I said, well, honey, what's wrong? And she said, through her tears, I wasn't ready. And I reassured her and told her, well, it's okay. It's just a game. It's not worth getting upset over. We'll just try again. And I tried to explain the concept of ready or not to her, but that didn't go so well. Um, So don't think she's quite old enough to get that. Anyway, the point is, Christ says ready or not. Here I come. But it isn't a game. It's for real. There are no do-overs, but there may well be tears. The hope represented by this candle needs to continue to shine. And we must be prepared because this hope represents the return of Christ. And we must be prepared by keeping this light, this hope, alive. Jesus is coming back. Whether or not we were prepared or not is up to us. When he returns, will he see our light shining? Will we be ready? Amen. If the ushers would come forward and let us prepare our hearts for a time when we offer back a portion of what God has given to us.
Let us uh, stand as we join together in affirming our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Christ his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church. Forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now may you go forth in peace knowing that in the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus is our preparation for readiness for his return. So may we put our trust in him as we live for him every day, knowing that in his good time, we will be together always. Have a great week.